Welcome to the Breaking the Stars podcast, where we feature stories of people from non-traditional backgrounds that broke into tech. Technology is changing U.S. employment, but companies are increasingly determined to teach its old workforce to use new equipment. For examples of that, you can check out uh, Fortune's new article about how AT&T is retraining 100,000 people, and you can look up countless articles that are talking about the dynamics between old and young people at startups, but um, without digressing too much more, I want to talk about today's guest, Michael J. Walker. Michael J. Walker story is very interesting, not only because he was a senior executive in his 50s that decided to quit his job to learn how to code with a bunch of 20-year-olds, but he has gone on to now become the chief academic officer and campus director of Dev Boot Camp in San Francisco. This episode is really great because it doesn't just talk about racial diversity, it talks about age diversity, it talks about the Dev Boot Camp program and several other things, and it's a really great episode for you to check out. If you want to learn a little bit more about um, startups that are focused on seniors, you should check out Rita's episode where she talks about how she was a team parent, worked with some of the elderly, and broke into tech at that company. Um, and before going into the episode, we want to give a shout out to uh, W.Faven, who left us a review on the podcast where she says, yep, you may just want to hit subscribe. Very impressed. This podcast is a resource not to be taken lightly. No frills or fluff. This is candid advice in the sharing of real and varied experiences that anyone out there considering breaking into a startup world can relate to and derive some inspiration from. Not to mention, the organization of each of the interviews makes it super easy to reference any gems that really resonate. This is golden. Thank you, Faven. And we, if you guys want to get a shout out on the podcast, please continue to leave those reviews. And without further ado, check it out. Join our Facebook group on, on uh, Facebook. It's called Breaking the Startups. And let's go. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, yo, yo. This is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies, Archer Timor Meister. And this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Timor, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? So, yeah, it's um, 7 p.m. on a Monday night. And we're recording tonight's episode out of Dev Bootcamp. In the past, we've recorded graduates and founders of Hack Reactor, App Academy, Tradecraft, and GrowthX. But we do want to remind our listeners that our goal is to present an unbiased view of the coding bootcamp landscape. So tonight, we're recording someone who actually went through Dev Bootcamp. And over the next few weeks, you'll hear many more stories uh, just like that. So with that said, Arthur, uh, can you please introduce our guest? Thanks, Timur. So today we have a very special guest, Michael J. Walker, who goes by Walker, who has a really non-traditional background. Walker started out in the late 80s as a stockbroker for Lehman Brothers. He then got his MBA and moved into more executive roles in sales and marketing in some of the top Fortune 500 companies, including Ford Motor Company in Atlanta, Shoutout ATL, Kraft Foods, PepsiCo, and Mattel. Fast forward to around five years ago, Michael got the startup bug and went on to co-found a mobile app startup. After serving as a chief marketing officer and operations officer at a few other tech companies, Michael did something completely unpredictable. He decided he wanted to learn how to code and do web development. That newfound passion led him to Dev Bootcamp, where he acquired his technical chops and eventually was asked to become the chief education officer and campus director in San Francisco. Michael, before we begin, 
Can you tell our audience where you grew up and a little bit about yourself? Yeah, yeah, glad to. Thanks for having me. I didn't grow up anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Military brat. So uh, straight up, I went, uh, say I lived on four continents, 11 U.S. states, and to date I've moved 33 times. Oh, so, wow. Uh, wow. Mr. International. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Saudi Arabia for eight years, four years in England, three years in the outback, and then everywhere from the southeast, northeast, North Dakota. We're the black family of North Dakota. You may have heard of us. And then, uh, you know, California, Colorado. So all over quite a bit. Do you have nice. siblings? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll pass. I had a younger brother and my parents, and uh, so they're all gone. Yeah. But, uh, yep, so it was uh, just four of us kind of chouncing around the world. So get an interesting perspective uh, growing up in that kind of environment. Nice. So tell us a little bit more about uh, what were you like as a kid? What were you interested in? What were your passions growing up? I was weird. <laughs> <laughs> Always curious, curious. I like to learn. I didn't like being told that I can't do something. I'm always asking questions. But uh, growing up like that, learned to be a new kid in school quite a bit. So I'm an introvert, but I learned pretty quickly that if you don't put yourself out there, then nothing happens. So I guess the lesson I picked up there was, um, you know, risk wasn't just bad things that can happen, but it's good things that don't. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you don't go out and make friends, you don't put yourself out there. A lot of good things that could have happened when you were living in that town, and now they didn't. So why was that worse than someone saying no? Yeah, no, that's that's good advice. Whenever you were told no and you felt that feeling of, you know, that you didn't like it, you know, what did you do to, you know, break through that barrier? Did you shut down a little bit or did you, you know, what what'd you do? Kind of pull out the Vulcan side of me. Okay, <laughs> like, okay. So- Kirk would get mad. <laughs> then the Vulcan would say, well, let's, let's examine this. What, mm-hmm. what is the issue and uh, what are the possibilities? So always been, always had an analytical mind mm-hmm. uh, mindset. And so I uh, just kind of look at the problem and think of a different way to do it. You talk about my job as a stockbroker. That was actually with E.F. Hutton. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you folks don't remember that because they're not around anymore. But I remember uh, my first job out of school was uh, actually I had a job as uh, a department store manager at Hudson's was the first offer I got out of undergrad. And we were all at dinner. They were talking to the new people that hired. And I started asking questions. Everyone else is happy. And I said, so, okay, so what's the next promotion? Well, then you get to be manager of X. Well, then, what? then you get to manage the sock department. I said, okay. And then, well, what do you mean? Well, after, well, manage the whole floor. When do I get to run that whole store? <laughs> well, after a while. But when do I get to be VP? Oh, well, we don't do that here. I was like, yeah, I'm uh, done with this. Yeah. I just very <laughs> short-sighted. Decided I wanted, I said, um, I saw a cover of Time Magazine. They had a stockbroker on there. I said, I want to do that. And then <laughs> everyone kept telling me, yeah, like, you can't do that. I said, why not? You don't have a finance degree. You don't know X, Y, Z. We'll see about that. And um, I just picked up the phone book and started just. So you broke in. Yeah, I did. It was funny. I just started, I just started cold calling people. And um, I got down to Chicago and I remember uh, two distinct events that I remember. I got all the way up to, uh, I think it was Morgan Stanley. I got all the way up to the floor and the woman was like, what are you doing here? And I had her on, she came out to see me. I didn't have a resume or anything. And so she gave me a half hour. She couldn't believe I got that far. I just told me about having a resume, et cetera. And another one I had, uh, a branch manager. I found a way to uh, get to the branch manager and found out who his secretary is and call back and, you know, say, Hey, this is Walker. Uh, yeah. Is Bob in? No. He's, I said, uh, yeah. Is he going to be back from lunch? Let, have, let me, let me talk to him. So I got the guy on the phone. He's like, who are you? I said, yes, it's Michael Walker. I'm just in town for uh, just a couple hours there. I just wanted to come in and talk to you about a job. He's like, you, 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 you can't do that. You just can't come in here. I said, uh, no, I'm sorry. He said, you just can't call someone up. I said, let me just ask you one question. So what kind of people do you have working for you? People that can get you on the phone or people going to wait for something to happen? It's quiet for a second. He said, can you be in by 1230? Wow. Interview. 
but yeah, just found out pretty early. Like, that's like that's like classic pursuit of happiness. So like, yeah, it seems like it. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're ambitious. You don't take no for an answer. You're passionate about personal brand, and you covered a lot of things that were like not worried about resume, sales. Like, no, don't you can't well, wait for all the things to fall into place, man. It's like I said, it's just no is gonna happen. Yeah. I tell my daughter, like she's like, what? I'm like, what is it, honey? She's just making a face. And I said, what? Oh, you're just gonna say no? I said, I haven't said no. Yeah. So you get this. You're definitely getting the answer you don't want if you don't ask. Yeah. So you might as well ask. Just don't be afraid to no. Is putting yourself out there, learning that you need to put yourself out there. What got you interested in, in marketing when you were in school? What got me interested in marketing? I, I like marketing because of the psychology and just understanding how people think and, and uh, persuasion. And it's, it's a lot of social skills involved in it. Um, and it just applies to everything. You have to think about, I think the key thing I took from my marketing experience is that you know, reality doesn't really matter as much as perception. Like the, the number one driver of profitability, I think it was the PIMS research, the number one driver of profitability is perceived quality, mm. not actual quality. Actual quality doesn't matter if I can't understand that it's there. Mm-hmm. So it's what people think. People will pay for what they think. So those impressions that you make, you know, one thing I learned in my career, like the only thing that mattered to acceleration in your career was knowledge, leadership, and results. Not what they actually were, but what people think they were. Do they think you know what you're doing? Do they think that you did it well? And do they think that that result was good? And that's uh, in a corporate career. That's that's what people learn to manage that. Um, so that's just awesome. as important. Yeah, that's awesome. And so you know, out of school, you're doing the stockbroker job, yeah. and you, you know, you started remembering what you studied in school. Is that what led you to want to leave finance and go into a marketing career? No, <laughs> <laughs> I, my whole career, a lot of it was based on people telling me what I can't do. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was. Uh, so after I was a stockbroker, and believe me, and that was in 87, I got my license the Saturday before the market crashed. Wow. Came back, and there were security guards. We were still writing tickets out by hand, and mm-hmm. people didn't know what happened until the end of the day. And did that for about a year. That job wasn't for me. I got fired from that job. Mm-hmm. I remember being in tears over it. But uh, I was selling old people CDs and you know money market funds, and uh, everyone was selling Michael, uh, what's his name, junk bonds. Uh, Pink sheets or not, not that far? No, we, we had like a whole, <laughs> it was ugly. Yeah. But, I, you know, I just, it just, you know, I just, there's a, I think in tough situations, just kind of find, you find out where your boundaries are. Mm-hmm. So in that job, I just found there were certain things that ethically, I just not going to do for money. So I worked twice as hard to make half the money. So they were right when I left that, but that getting fired and getting knocked out of things was some of the best things that could ever happen because that led me to go to Ford Motor Company. And I'd been selling, uh, you know, intangibles on the phone, right? Calling people from six in the morning to six at night, starting with Hawaii. And then I got to four and he had this job. It was for a field sales rep on the phone. I'm like, mm-hmm. what's the job? He said, well, you call up these dealerships and all right. Uh, and then what? And you make sure they buy these extra yellow Festivas that we made because we made too many. I said, okay, well, who else can you buy cars from? Nobody. And who other sales rep? No, just me. So oh, all I gotta <laughs> do is, I'm the only person they can buy it from. And I got to call them. I killed that job. This is my last job. had been so tough. And yeah. then uh, started asking questions again, like, where does this go? Where does this go? And Seemed like uh, it wasn't going to go very far. And they had a program for uh, accelerate program for vice presidents. I got wind of that. I said, how do I get that? He said, well, you got to get an MBA. Where'd I get that from? Uh, you got to go to one of these schools. So University of Michigan was one of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't have the money to go. And uh, I said, where can I get money? Why would I let that stop me? So I got, I remember getting Barron's big book of scholarships. And just flipping through, okay, Daughters of Revolution. Mm, no, that's not me. Uh, <laughs> people with purple toes. No, okay. There was a consortium for graduate studies and management, which it was a full ride with a stipend. 
And I just filled that out. And by the time I had done my Harvard and Wharton uh, application, I remember having the envelope. I got a letter from University of Michigan, full ride with a, you know, with a stipend. Beautiful. Um, didn't think that could happen, but there you go. Um, That's awesome. So ran off and did that. And that led me to, you know, marketing. Uh, just think Pepsi was the toughest marketing internship you could have. I wasn't sure if I wanted to do marketing. I had done the banking stuff. And I said, okay, let me take the toughest one I could get. So the cold calling experience from doing the sales got, helped you get your scholarship. How, how many cold calls do you think that you made a day? Oh, a day? You, yeah, when you were doing sales. <laughs> uh, in order to get one account a day, you had to have 10 office visits, which means 50 people that agreed to come in, which equated about 200, call, 200 successful cold calls a day, including calling like you know people who are crying because someone had just... You know, you just ate up their college fund. And they blamed you for every bad thing that happened in their life. So that was a tough job. Wow. So that's, that's at that's least a thousand too, right? calls a day. Yeah, it's I mean, a, lot. a thousand not calls a week. Oh, a week. easy. Yeah, yeah. this yeah. is no, this one like pressing the buttons. This is when you had that, that rotary dial. Click, 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 you uh, excelled at various careers. What um, skill or what character trait do you think helped you exceed and excel and get those scholarships? Uh? Hmm. I'm not making assumptions. I remember someone telling me a story about, I don't know if it's true, about fleas. If you have a jar with fleas in it and you put uh, you know, a piece of paper on the top of the jar, a little while they'll try to pop out, but then they get accustomed to having that little barrier there and they'll stop. And then if they have successive generations of fleas, they won't try to jump out because they've already decided that thing is there. So even if you remove it, they still thought the thing was there. So Interesting. this is the idea that just, you know, making these assumptions about uh, what your barriers are, and my, something my parents always taught me is just don't assume that, uh, that your barriers are real. You keep trying at them and maybe one day, maybe it's not there. So I think that's the, the thing about like, again, being told I can't do something or something's impossible. I've done some amazing things in my career around things that someone else said couldn't be done. So taking those chances, and it's never, like to your point, I mean, it's never easy. It's not, not like no one likes to fail or have things break or being told no, but try again. Maybe something different will happen. Yeah. Do you have any advice in terms of, do you ever have mentors? Did you look for mentorship or did you look at role models in the industries and, and you told yourself, hey, I want to be like that person and you just <laughs> analyzed every little thing? Or do you listen to radio, read books? What helped you yeah. come up with that strategy in place? Science fiction. <laughs> seriously star trek uh, <laughs> i used to look at um like the bridge of star trek and look at that diversity mm-hmm. i think it's the first interracial kiss on kiss on tv <laughs> Captain Kirk and Uhura. but um what i liked about that show is they they never judged any of the aliens or other folks you know they never judged them about their culture like it's about how that team worked and what they could contribute Right. So and they could all be on there, but they would respect the Klingons got his way and the Romulans got it. Well, they didn't have Romulans on the yeah. bridge. I'm sorry if you know what I'm talking about. But, you know, you have Russians and Japanese and black folks, and, mm-hmm. you know, Irishmen. I'm sorry, Scotsman. But, they, you know, you, it was about what you could contribute to that team. Kirk yeah. didn't care yeah. about a lot of things. Yeah. But uh, that uh, that was always an inspiration. I loved a lot of the Isaac Asimov work, which is always mm-hmm. kind of hopeful about the future and just. You know, always thinking about possibilities and just this idea that what we're looking at and what we think we know today isn't necessarily what it's got to be going forward. Other inspirations, uh, obviously my dad, like, uh, you know what, this movie that was uh, uh, Hidden Figures. Oh, yeah, it's amazing. This weekend. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. Uh, right. This, uh, and there was a speech that um, 
one of the women gave to that judge. Remember that about mm-hmm. about being first? Powerful mm-hmm. movie. It's just Powerful it's movie. An, an amazing scene. Everybody needs to go see that right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's about that, like thinking about, uh, you, know, you may have to be first. You may have to be a pioneer. In fact, if you're a person of color or a woman or from other, some other diverse background, like me in my 50s, going into a lot of things, you're going to be the first yeah. uh, in that company or in that space and, or first person that someone else has met that's that different. You have to be comfortable with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've covered a lot of things, and you know, clearly you, you are not just ambitious. You are passionate about education and learning. Can you tell us a little bit more about your educational experience at Ross? Because um, in the pre-chat, we talked a little bit more about like the difference between classical marketing and digital marketing that you're going to cover later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, can you tell us about that? Yeah, Ross was great. And at the time I went, they were actually uh, experimenting with some pilot programs uh, at the business school. Yeah, I think at Ross, I, mean, I wasn't quite sure which direction I was going to go for business. And my undergrad was uh, music composition and economics, also from University of Michigan, which is coincidence that they got me twice. I remember <laughs> the snow. <laughs> but, like I said, I, I think once I got the full ride, that was an easy decision not to have. At that time, would have been another $60,000 of debt on top of me for mm-hmm. a top five school. Yep. But yeah, I, I went in thinking, you know, perhaps consulting. I thought about finance maybe. Mm-hmm. But marketing, just it was just intriguing to me. I remember meeting someone talking about going into, um, you know, she, was, she had just come from Green Giant and I'm like, so you know more about frozen peas than anyone on the planet. That sounds like a stupid job. So, of course, that's the one I wanted. <laughs> but it just, it really opened up my eyes a lot. I think the biggest surprise is that I couldn't grow dreadlocks and just think about business. <laughs> and I thought about doing a JD too and, you know, realized I'd, I'd rather just read about law than be a lawyer. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, they're they about the business right off the bat. And people are thinking about the careers and meeting a lot of people. It's a very intense back kind of program. And the big thing was more about how people work together. Uh, the books are pretty much the same in, in any of those campuses, but it was the environment that I was learning in and the type of people I was working with and learning that you can't, that's not necessarily uh, that you have to consume everything that's in front of you, but being smart about what you're reading and being focused on what you're doing. So that was a, I would say Deb Bootcamp. I would put up there, uh, this, or not just Deb Bootcamp, I'd say any of the boot camps, like just a transformative kind of experience in terms of, you know, building a, a really intriguing and new skill set and being able to apply it differently. It just opened up my eyes to some different possibilities. Yeah. yeah. Since you touched on a dev bootcamp and you got an undergrad and an MBA, can you <laughs> contrast the learning styles? And because uh, a lot of our listeners, they have, some of them might've gone to the traditional universities, but most of them have not mm-hmm. done a bootcamp. So you haven't been on both sides. Can you yeah. give them a good uh, idea of what are some big differences? Yeah, I think, the undergrad pace was much different than the grad school pace uh, from the business school. Boot camps are a little bit, remind me more of the grad school experience, mm-hmm. uh, you know, very intense uh, in a short period of time. But the boot camp thing, uh, you know, it was just an amazing, amazing amount of focus. Uh, for me, it was 12 weeks in the program uh, as I repeated the second phase. So it was 12 weeks and I was doing 80 hours a week. And at the age of 51 with 25, 27, 28, 29 year olds, so which is also, you know, a lesson in younger culture. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I kept up with you, whippersnappers. Uh, yeah. That's uh, awesome. So, yeah, so that was, um, I think the thing that was interesting about it is there's so much in front of you on every day. And I used to say, like, the days were long and the weeks were short. And you get so, you can get very caught up in how much you don't know. Like, the more I learned, the less I knew, right? So every day there was something else I didn't know that you don't sometimes get the chance to just step up and take your perspective back and realize how much you've learned in that period of time. But 
it's great to be able to just really focus in on one little area and do it with other people who are focusing in on the same type of thing and trying to learn in a very intense environment. And it was just, it was just, it's hard to, hard to say how amazing it was to actually get to a point where you could actually create something out of nothing. Yeah. Um, where the lights come on and these little points where you finally realize, I mean, like for me, like with the first week when I pulled back a, a web page and then Google Chrome and just looked at like, the, you know, just, you could look at the code and yeah. change the color or something. I thought that was mind boggling. Yeah. I, I had no idea all that stuff was back. It was yeah. just sitting yeah. right there. That's powerful. And so we're talking about power now, which is like building things. Superpowers. Superpowers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like you had a lot of power before. I mean, you, you are a top sales guy. You know, you went into this marketing career and you're doing these things. Like, why would someone that has power go to, you know, developing this other skill set? Like, can you contrast yeah. you know, why you made that decision? Why, why you felt that this was the way to go? Because you had to kind of like climb yeah. down a hill to climb back up one, right? Yeah. Superpowers have shelf lives. Okay. That's the way okay. to think about it. I just realized, you know, mine had a shelf life. Um, I was uh, at a uh, chief marketing officer's conference in Northwestern. And, um, you know, a bunch of folks around the room from these big companies talking about this unicorn problem that we have in marketing, uh, people that have this classical background in marketing versus people with the digital skill set, which is fresher, but not as much experience or you know, not thinking quite the same way. And there's this gap in between, like how someone knows what's in between. And that was, uh, I think it was 2013. So by the time when 2014 came around, I started thinking about boot camps. I said, I'm just going to bust a master move and go. There's <laughs> nobody. I said, I can't imagine anybody my age deciding they're going to go in and do this crazy boot camp thing. Mm-hmm. Turns out they were, you know, more than I thought. So I was a little disappointed I wasn't the oldest. I, I think <laughs> at that boot camp, I think the oldest student we had was 64 at wow. one point. So That's awesome. 18 to 64. Yeah. So uh, I just figured, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get this new superpower and I'm going to learn how to code and. There's just, there's no, in my mind, there's just no downside to it. Like, what's yeah. the worst thing that's going to happen? I know how to code. Uh, so it's going to either enhance uh, my core career in something, or it's going to introduce me to a new career or something in between. That just didn't see any downside to learning, which, as you mentioned before, I'm just a lifetime, lifetime learner. Um, well, and, and, stop uh, learning. I don't want to pause there a little bit. Because, yeah. like, I mean, you said 64 is the oldest that you've seen at yeah. Dev Bootcamp. I work in the senior care space at Honor. It's a oh, tech yeah. company. There's 10,000 people turning 65 every day for the next 19 nice. years. People are starting to work longer and right. people are interested in figuring out what they can do in the future. So mm-hmm. if there's anybody out there that feels like they're too old, you know, this is a message to you. Uh, Shout out to Be- Dev Bootcamp. Yeah. It's not too late to start, you know, make it yeah. happen. Yeah. And I think the average uh, career is something like, I want to say it was like eight to 10 or 10 to 12 years, someone said. And when you think about it, you can have, you know, four or five full on careers during the course of your you know, normal working life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at 50, I figure I have two more careers. Um, yeah. So I just figured I'd take a shot at this one and see, yeah. what, see what the next one's going to be. So take, but, us, yeah. take us back to the moment when you decided that you were going to attempt to do this. Like, what was it like? And tell us a little bit about, give us some context of where were you, you were in your life, like what type of jobs mm-hmm. you've held before in positions yeah. and what you had to do, kind of, what was the decision like to decide to give it, kind of leave it and attempt something yeah. completely new? Um, no, that's interesting. Yeah, I was... Uh, so before, like I said, at Kraft, I, you know, when I left there, I'd been the senior category director. I ran like, you know, big $800 million cookie portfolio. I'd worked in uh, corporate strategy there. I, uh, I was one of the first, I was the first employee in the e-commerce division back in 99 when they were starting that. Wow. I ran their first attempt at a startup that they were going to spin out. Had acquired a little tech company where they chief technology officer, I convinced him to uh, come work with us and sell cheese instead of go to this silly <laughs> thing called uh, 
Google that his three buddies were starting at Stanford. <laughs> wow. We don't talk anymore. <laughs> but at the time, it was a good decision. I'm like, I got $5 million. What do those guys got? They got yeah. nothing. You know, I've worked in international, ran Hot Wheels, uh, you know, the international side of Hot Wheels uh, as on marketing for Mattel. And Electronic Arts, I was a global marketing guy for The Sims, CMO at a uh, robotic startup uh, that's still going. But it was when I was, um, it was a, a mobile app company. Uh, one of the guys at the, the uh, robotics company had a buddy who was looking for a business partner. He needed a co-founder to get funded. So I joined in with him. At this point in my life, like I'd been uh, just recently divorced. Uh, I had left EA. I wasn't really happy about uh I'd been at, I loved my uh, robotics gig, uh, but we were broke and hadn't taken salary for about a year. My daughter was living in LA with her mom and still kind of new to the area. I didn't have a lot, a lot to lose. It just, I had a lot of freedom to kind of mm-hmm. work with. And we were at TechCrunch Disrupt in New York, I think it was January 2014, and trying to, ra- trying to raise some money. And um, at that point, every time we met a VC, they would ask, uh, can you code? My partner would be like, yes, I can code. What about you? I'm like, <laughs> no. And uh, I just burn up your capital. That's what I'm here to do. Right? So they looked at every engineer, got a, you know, added 150K to the valuation, but every business person was like taking 250. So I just decided right there, I said, well, you know, what? that's the last time I'm going to say no to that. And that's when I decided to, uh, to go learn how to code. And um, how did you learn, learn about the boot camps? Because there's a lot of people out there and I engage in a lot of different debates online, mm-hmm. but some people say, hey, like you can learn at this point, you can learn how to code just by Googling and there's plenty of resources online. Sure. And there's like Arthur and I, we chose to do boot camps, but what was your take? Did you immediately uh, know you wanted to do a boot camp or nope. did you just start out didn't Googling? Know. I knew I was interested in coding. My partner didn't want to teach me. Uh, he was smart. He <laughs> that was going to take. But, uh, you know, you could also go to the gym and you can, you can read up about workouts, but sometimes it's good to have a personal coach. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's good to talk to an expert who can curate all that noise for you. And uh, I think as most people, I wanted a career transformation and I had constraints on my time. I had uh, a chunk of money and I wanted to pay uh, somebody to help me get where I wanted to get as quickly as I thought I could get there. And uh, before I did that, I, I did what a lot of people do. I started trying, you know, played around with like Code Academy and Team Treehouse and mm-hmm. spent a weekend just learning to code to see if I got sick of it. Just, you know, said if I could enjoy that as much as I enjoy playing a video game where I don't notice the time, this might be something for me. And it was. And um, I looked at Hack Reactor, started down the road with App Academy and gotten through their first rounds. And um, what appealed to me about Dev Bootcamp was, um, like you said, it it's, uh, just had a wider kind of mouth to the funnel. They had a phase where you could, uh, you could try it out and work 25 hours a week. If you got through all of that, then you can come on uh, to the campus portion. So, and I like their emphasis on engineering empathy and the, and the people aspects of the job of coding and, you know, thinking more about the whole person. So for me, it just seemed to suit me and what I was interested in. You just be focused on success. Either that it's a particular way of learning how to code. There are many ways to become a developer. These are just some particular models and particular paths to it. And you find the one that suits you and uh, focus on the success of becoming a developer and don't worry about whether that tool accepted you into their program or not or whether it worked for you or not. Just keep moving forward. It's kind of like the analogy you drew to um, kind of having uh, like the flies hitting against your hand. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> just the, because the one bootcamp says no, it doesn't mean you're not going to be a developer. Right. It's all about your passion and you'll find a way to get there. You could do it on your own too. There's so many ways to learn that skill set. You just have to have the passion and perseverance. Right? Yeah, you know, like you said, like about inspirations, like, Someone it's uh give me a quote about I don't know if you played you play sports you know these situations where you're trying not to lose 
uh, which is different than when you're trying to win yep. in the same game. <laughs> it's a different attitude. Mm-hmm. And um, if you focus on success versus failure, like Elon Musk isn't worrying about failure. Not Edison wasn't worried about failure. Like what Edison say, he found like a thousand ways not to make a light bulb. Like mm-hmm. it's just, you know, if you're focusing on being successful, focusing on being a developer, yep. then you won't have any failures. You're just finding some ways that don't work for you or getting information about um, what you can improve or something else that you can do differently. What is Dev Bootcamp's interview process like? It's it's fairly rigorous. I don't think that you know, intentionally that the hurdles are as high for some of the models like with App Academy. It was model, my impression, right, really dependent on a, a small percentage of people, you know, coming into the program that need to have a different low, uh, skill level uh, to kind of make the model work. Uh, Dev Bootcamp, if you think of it as like a funnel, it's uh, the mouth is wider. You know, the neck is still narrow in terms of uh, what you need to accomplish, but it was designed to be a little bit more accepting of, you know, varying starts. So, you know, people that might be starting from scratch yep. or know a little bit, but it gave you some time to kind of walk up through it. Uh, so in the interview process, definitely testing for, you know, certain type of aptitude or logical thinking, talking about your desire to want to do it and making sure it seems like a good fit. So I think a little higher acceptance of people uh, in those earlier stages, but more time for you to kind of figure out if it's going to work for you or not. So by the time you hit the campus, then, you know, you've got people that are really as well prepped for the program as they can be. And can you touch upon, um, you mentioned by the time you hit the campus, I know one of the unique parts about Dev Bootcamp is you have remote and on-campus yep. parts. So for our listeners, can you cover what each part entails? Yes. So phase zero is the off-campus part. So there are four phases, zero, one, two, and three. The phase zero is uh, nine weeks, and uh, that's about 25 to 30 hours a week. And so at that point, you can still keep a full-time job while you're learning some of the basics of programming. At the end of that period, if you've passed the assessment, then you come onto the uh, on-campus portion, which is phase one, two, and three, three weeks each phase. And uh, that's where you go through the back end. You learn in phase uh, phase one, you know, focusing on Ruby and back end. Uh, phase two is when the whole, you're starting to build like you know, full-on web applications and integrating front and back end. And then phase three is a bit more of a polish of, uh, you know, you digging into Rails, uh, building team projects, um, and then getting you ready for, uh, for the workspace. So phase one, two, and three, the on-campus portion, we say about 60 hours a week. For me personally, it's closer to like 70, 75, maybe 80 sometimes. So very intense. You should not have a full-time job. You should not be working at that time. And it's like all of your intention is focused on uh, driving through the program. And then that's mixed in with uh, things like our engineering empathy and um, the other things that we do culturally that around trying to uh, produce a, a full uh, a full person, a uh, full engineer is what we're, what we're thinking. Can you talk a little bit about what engineering empathy means? Yeah, so it's uh, engineering empathy for us. Um, it's, a, it's a series of soft skills that uh, you also need as an engineer. Mm-hmm. You having hired a bunch of people over the years in different areas, I think there's like there are three things that uh, in hiring people. I think it's really basic things that really matter. And it's horsepower, willpower, and star power. And I mean, by horsepower is like how smart are you? Like, can you learn something? Most jobs you're going to walk into, they don't expect you to be the expert. Uh, you come in at the V or the C level, maybe they're buying your expertise, but for most jobs, they, you're going to have to be trained. So they want to know that you're smart enough to learn what needs to be learned. The willpower is um, more about your motivation. Are you, are you someone that can work hard? Are you interested in this company? And the star power is, are you going to energize my staff and the team and the space that you're in? Or are you going to suck the energy out of it? That's really the, when you think about it, that's all I want to know. It's like, this person's smart. They're going to work hard. And we like being around them. And a lot of times when you're a rock star engineer, it's hard to tell that story or like 
Mm-hmm. In an interview, you have a limited amount of time to demonstrate right. that, and you right. can't always demonstrate that through algorithms. And so yeah. what you're saying or what I'm hearing you saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is that you teach people how to tell that story. Well, I'm telling you, you demonstrate it whether you think you do or not, right? And mm-hmm. so people think that they're focusing on, I'm smart and I can work hard, but your star power, like how you're interacting with people, by the time you get to campus, that's what they're trying to see. Mm-hmm. You know, they want to see how you're interacting with the other, other engineers, what your social skills are. Like They're kind of balancing out you know, how you're going to energize the space and are you a good cultural fit? So the things that we focus on are things like uh, managing uh, like super ego attacks. Like, you know, how do you self-regulate with that? Uh, we talk about metacognitive skills. We talk about, you know, managing in diverse environments, uh, you know, being able to open up and share some things emotionally with other folks, uh, you know, to, to get to know people better. You know, we, we focus on pair, pair programming, uh, working team projects, just a lot of, and it's a very diverse environment on top of that. Yeah, you know, more diverse. Can you talk a little bit about the kind of composition of the students? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's unlike what you'd probably see in in the tech environment in general. It's much more diverse. Uh, ages from eighteen to sixty four, like I mentioned, probably about thirty percent women versus I think in general like nineteen percent. I think generally the Wall Street Journal is saying uh, like eight uh, percent Latino and uh, African American in the tech space generally. Mm-hmm. And the big tech companies here, it's like one percent African American, yeah. and we're about forty-seven percent uh, people of color. Wow, on this campus. And uh, I'd say for San Francisco, I'd estimate like twenty-five or thirty percent of the people come from out of state or out of country, which is unique to San Fran. It's like mm-hmm. you know being in L.A. for the film industry. A lot of people are going to go there as a destination. Yeah. So, uh, and then much less like the career backgrounds, like there have been people that are ex-felons or we had, um, you know, U.S. diplomats, you know, law professors at a PhD, you know, a couple of PhD candidates that were, or people with PhDs in my cohort, um, mm-hmm. circus clowns, painters, like, mm-hmm. you know, I was a, you know, high tech pudding salesman, as my brother <laughs> used to call it, working for Jello pudding at Kraft Foods. <laughs> like, so, so it sounds like, you know, the talent exists or there's institutions like yours that are developing the talent. Can you talk a little bit more about your thoughts on this whole diversity and inclusion conversation? Because we've been here for yeah. two years and there's yeah. opposing views. We'd love to hear your perspective on that, given that February is around the corner. Yeah, I'm, well, I'm glad there's a conversation. I know when Jesse Jackson you know, started that whole question with him and they all start, had to uh, start exposing what some of their statistics are and sharing them. I think that's really important to do. So it's great that we know the numbers. It's a little disappointing the numbers haven't moved as much as we would like to think that they should. But I think that um, all the big tech companies have taken some of the, the steps that they could, the easier steps, like hiring diversity directors, setting up initiatives, making statements from, you know, from the C-suite down about how important tech is. And you know, as far as uh, reaching out to Howard, I think it was Google, right, and starting to help with um, you know, trying to shape some of the CS programs to be a little bit more inclusive and part of the pipeline. But yeah, like I said, the, you know, if the pipeline isn't full, maybe you need to move the pipe. There you um, go. So that's where uh, I think the boot camp as a category that's emerged is fantastic. We started in, you know, in 2012. We were the first one. And a lot of the um, you know, founders of the other big boot camps came through that boot camp as well. I mean, these kind of stepped into a model, which uh, was demonstrating that people from various backgrounds can pick up the basic skills that they need to be productive uh, developers and engineers in this space. So all of a sudden, instead of having to wait for someone to come through a machine four years out from Stanford, you can find somebody who you know, has always had an aptitude for this or an interest in it. And suddenly you have this very diverse canvas of individuals who are potential you know, world-class beginners as developers. I think the space is still trying to figure out exactly how to best kind of um, 
mine people from from the space, but we've been working on some partnerships and things like that to help. Got it. Can you talk about some of the partnerships or some of the hiring partners that you guys collaborate with uh, to solve some of these problems? Uh, of course. So we've um, we just announced a partnership earlier this year with uh, Adobe, and uh, we'll be taking in some uh, diverse candidates into the program. Um, and afterwards, then they'll uh, be aligned to for some internship uh, work at Adobe. We worked with Facebook last year, uh, brought in 20 people, uh, you know, women of color, uh, women, people of color into the program. And most of them have graduated now through uh, Yes We Code, mm-hmm. which was associated. Shout out to Van Jones. With, yeah, Van Jones. You know, Prince had a little hand in there mm-hmm. um, as well. Shout um, out to Phaedra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Yes We Code, uh, we've now done, uh, you know, twice with them, uh, brought in uh, cohorts of students uh, in through the program with diversity scholarships. And I think that a little stipend as well. And uh, lesbians who tech. Um, but here's the thing, like you're saying, like this is a, a platform where we can rapidly develop diversity talent that can come in at the grassroots level in these organizations mm-hmm. um, and start to make a difference. And because of their experience in a program like ours, it's not just uh, those students of color and women that we're, that we're affecting. We're affecting a lot of uh, people who are not in those uh, under uh, disadvantaged groups that are working in intense environments with people that are very different with them. They're different from them and learning how to work with them. Yeah. You know, diversity is not a, you know, it's not a, an easy, simple, clean thing to do. It's mm-hmm. a lot of ugly work, like mm-hmm. stepping on toes, making mistakes. Mm-hmm. And what we say is, look, uh, you can get in there, mix it up, do the work you got to do and do it with good intention. And when you make mistakes, learn from it, you know, reach out to each other and learn how to work well with different people and, and how to work well with yourself. And so, again, that for me, that was a big reason why Dev Bootcamp made so much sense to me is that, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on that cultural aspect. And on uh, you know how to be a, a good member of a team and uh, be aware of your environment and aware of yourself, not just your code and what you're doing on the computer. Yeah, no, no, that's dope. And you you covered a lot of things related to your model. Um, and and people come from different backgrounds. Something that we haven't touched on as much is is socioeconomics. So can you talk a little bit more about the model, the financing, how people are becoming a part of this program and funding themselves to to get this type of skill set? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, resources are always a always a challenge for. I mean, if you have a startup and you're trying to do something, I mean, it's always a resource challenge. It's whether it's people or it's money or mentorship. And um, I think if most people just stopped it, like I don't have, then you won't get. Right? Mm-hmm. So I thought about the scholarship money I didn't have for grad school, and you're just not going to get it. So just find a way. So there are some things we have in place. So we have a partnership with Skills Fund, which uh, Provides uh, tuition support for uh, for students. We offer some scholarships and standard for um, women and people of color right on the site. And I think again, as you see from some of these partnerships that we're building with the larger tech organizations, that's helping to uh, make more of these things more widely available and attracts a lot of attention. So I think a lot of people start to realize that uh, there may be alternative ways to find the resources they need to uh, to get into a boot camp. And as you mentioned, there are a lot of ways you can also uh, start making some progress right now that don't cost you anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, $8 a month, you know, to do Team Treehouse. Mm-hmm. Like if you have an interest, don't, uh, you shouldn't be sitting by waiting for things to happen. Just start learning. Um, yep, I got my brother one of those for Christmas. Yeah, nice. All right. It's, tech community is pretty awesome. Right? The internet's one of the best things that, you know, I think it's the best thing ever to happen, right? Yeah. So you can Google a problem or you could, you know, there's always someone that can help you try to figure out something. But, um, so there, there are funding resources and I think there are, a number of other different programs that uh, you know, they talk about. Some of them are, uh, do like crowdfunding or people sponsoring you. Uh, you know, people borrow from friends and family to do it. So 
you know, like the 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 uh, price tag isn't isn't the lowest thing in the world, but some other boot camps have different models too, where you don't have to pay up front or you pay over, you know, at the end of uh, end of your time. What I liked about Deb Bootcamp, so if at any point it didn't work out that you know for you, then uh, up to a certain point, like you get refunded for the portion that you didn't use. Oh, that's great. So it's a I thought it was a great way to kind of mitigate the risk uh, if you weren't sure, which is important to do, I guess, especially if you have a wider mouth of the funnel and to take some of the edge off of uh, making the attempt to cross the line. And can you just give an example? So you mentioned there was uh, the remote section. So yep. you're saying if someone wanted to become a coder today, they can yep. start learning remotely, go through that phase, and then do you get examined at the end of the... Yes. And then can you retake it, or do you guys give opportunities for people to retake each phase as they go along? We do. Um, and that's another thing I really loved about yeah. that program. As we're, very, we're very focused on helping people succeed that can succeed in the program. So you go through phase zero, and I think around the seventh week, you take an assessment. If you don't pass the assessment, you are allowed to repeat that phase. So are the uh, the final three weeks of that part of it. On phase one, two, and three on campus, the same thing uh, for phases one and two. If uh, at the end of the third week, you're assessed, uh, if you don't pass the assessment, then you you can be given the opportunity to uh, to repeat. So at that point, we um, look at more than just a technical assessment. We look at a, a number of other factors and uh, try to determine what's in the best interest of the student uh, to help them succeed. So you could repeat phase zero, one, two, and three. And I think uh, along the way, too, if uh, before 60% of the program is expired, if, uh, if you do leave the program, there's a, a refund that would be, um, be given to you as well. Yeah. And, awesome. I, and I think that's a great point because everyone has a different learning style. When typically within boot camps, you need to learn the back end, the front end, you need to learn about databases. So in some cases, some people take longer to learn. They could be great engineers, mm-hmm. they could have great analytical skills, but right. you can't expect everyone to learn at the same pace. So I think it's very important that you guys give those chances for people to maybe spend an extra week or spend an extra month learning something and then coming back to take that assessment again. Yeah. Yeah. If you're repeating it for us in San Francisco, you um, you may be given the news on Thursday and then Monday uh, you're starting back in on the on mm-hmm. section. If someone has, uh, we do make some accommodations if you have some extenuating circumstances, if you get sick or something wrong, family going on, mm-hmm. um, you may be uh, given the option to defer for you know several weeks to come back in. But uh, exactly to your point, I mean, it, it's very, it, it, there's a, a focus on helping people succeed if they're capable of doing it. We do talk about a lot early on about the different learning styles. Um, we focus on metacognitive skills, which is basically, you know, learning how to learn. You're not going to know, as you, as you all know, God, I've gone through these programs. Not everybody, well, no one in the industry really knows everything, right? It's a, it's a, the whole industry is about learning no you know, one constantly. In, no one in life knows everything. No, not at all. So <laughs> being a good, efficient learner and learning how to, how to research things and uh, how to learn new languages. A lot of our students have graduated and go on to work in, tech stacks that they had not been exposed to at all at the boot camp, you know, Go or PHP or Python, uh, you know, they just know how to learn. That's so, awesome. Can you talk a little bit about kind of the type of roles that your students go on to uh, look for once they graduate? Because uh, obviously the engineering one is the more obvious one, but mm. then what are some other positions that you've seen graduates pursue? Yeah. And people have gone on to uh, PM positions. I know one of our grads just recently got a job at Google as a product manager. Wow. They've gone on and, uh, you know, front-end roles, back-end roles, client support roles. I think, I know there's a lot of talk about outcomes uh, in the industry. And I, I think the thing that's super important to keep in mind is 
you know, they're getting a new superpower when you come through one of these boot camps or like that boot camp. And uh, if that new capability is enabling you to have access to an opportunity you would not have and had access to otherwise, and you're happy with it, I think that's a great outcome. Myself included, I graduated. I was a TA here for uh, several weeks, and uh, there was an opportunity for me to apply for the job of running the boot camp. I felt like one of Santa's elves was getting a chance to run Santa's workshop. So <laughs> that's a fantastic outcome that I wouldn't have had, uh, wouldn't have come about had I not known how to code. So I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. and so uh, kind of you have a very long uh, career of working in the corporate world. Mm-hmm. You've gotten uh, multiple higher degrees. You've kind of seen what it's like in the boardrooms, like what those industry titans are thinking about like some of them are afraid of technology disrupting them and now you're also kind of just pick up this new superpower and you're actually heading up a school that's enabling more people to yeah. know how to code so kind of i'm just curious about your kind of macro view your high level of view about where the technology industry is going specifically like tech startups and um mm. kind of since you've been in the industry like in the workforce for over 30 years what type of shifts have you seen as yeah. well yeah so I think you get three things when you choose Dev Bootcamp. You get this new superpower. Um, you get the ability to, um, to express that or, or show people, tell them that you have it, which means uh, if you know how to code and you can't, uh, you don't have a portfolio or your LinkedIn or resume, you can't get past a coding exam. It's like you don't have it. So it's not just enough to, to have the skill. You need to, to be able to effectively express it. And the third part is that you become part of a community, which I think is super important because if you're coming from outside tech, you know, every school can offer you a way to learn a language, and most of them offer some career support. A few of them really offer you like a cohesive kind of community to stay connected to. Having that, um, you know, when you're in this space is super important. You think about where tech is going. You know, some people talk about the fact that you may not need uh, developers at all for websites. Right? I think about, uh, I think it's Wix has now got, you know, some artificial intelligence, machine, machine learning. It just builds websites for you based on how people are using it. You get, you know, greater and greater layers of abstraction when it comes to coding too and just makes the tools easier to use. But again, it's really not just the tactical stuff that you're doing. It's, you know, not can you solve a problem, but it's how you think. And I think if you've learned how to think like a developer in programmatic thinking, you learn how to solve problems that way and you know how to learn and you'll constantly be able to keep uh, continuing building your skill set. What's going to happen, like I said, I came out of robotics. I saw that coming a long time ago. Uh, There's more of that coming, but uh, just machine learning robotics, Internet of Things, the world being more connected. It's just going to be more of an everyday, as everyone said, an everyday kind of skill set that that you need to have. And, you know, related to where things are going, you know, I know your graduates come out at different levels, but you also mentioned world-class beginners in this partnership with Adobe. Um, Is this the first of, you know, a few? I know you did it with Facebook as well, but Mm -hmm. where's that whole thing going? Yeah, I think think more of these type of partnerships are going to be super important. I think one, I think within, within the bootcamp space, uh, partnering with someone like Facebook or Adobe uh, helps bring some credibility to what we're doing. I think it drives awareness for people about uh, this is kind of a viable source of talent. And the more time that's gone by, we've graduated now, uh, probably 2,800 students. And these folks are now at a, at a point where they're starting to run the teams and you know, being in a position to hire. I think it'll become more commonplace to, to have people that have come through these less traditional channels. But I do think it's really important that I think for San Francisco, because this is where the dialogue is happening around diversity. Um, this is where the, the issues in, are more acutely noticed because of the wealth that's generated in contrast to Oakland right across, uh, you know, right across the bay. 
this is what people are talking about. And they're just, I think they've exhausted a lot of the general tactics as we talked about. So, you know, really um, heartening with boot camps and, and partnering with Deb Boot Camp as a way to demonstrate and kind of open up that pathway to alternative ways of uh, coming in and creating some value as a developer. Awesome. Well, um, we're really excited to see the other companies that you guys are going to be partnering with. And I think Timor is going to tell you a little bit about the lightning round. Yeah. So th- at this point uh, in our podcast, we do the lightning round. And this is where um, the three of us will ask you several questions. And <laughs> these questions are going to be specifically targeted towards some strategies, resources, and your tactic that you've used to uh, get to where you are today. Okay. So with that said, uh, you guys want to take it away? Yeah. So the first question is, um, so imagine if you were dropped in a brand new city <laughs> and you only had $100 and you were starting from scratch. Sounds like you already started from scratch a number of times in your life, so you're probably used to this, but what would be kind of the first things you would do to position yourself to, I guess, progress and go after your goals using that $100? Use $100. First thing I do is grab a Trello board and make a 100-year plan. Okay. Uh, so stop worrying about next day, next week, next month. Think about, you know, I've already planned my 101st birthday party. <laughs> so just that, which is an idea of just getting some perspective. So Somewhere along there, find the right story arc, like, you know, envision where I'm going to go and just determine that I'm going to get there. I think I'd take that hundred bucks, put it in my pocket and start hitting some meetups, getting some free pizza, shaking some hands. I would travel in Lyft or Uber uh, and do the pool mm-hmm. um, just so you can meet people mm-hmm. and uh, start. You can't throw a rock and not hit a developer somewhere around. There you go. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think what you focus on, what you want to do is I think that you've got to start meeting some people and, and talking about what you're interested in and asking questions and learning. Just by doing that, and no one likes you know no one likes anything better than uh, people asking them for advice. But being very focused and energetic, I, I think, will be infectious. And uh, just from there, you start getting some references from one to the other, and something will happen. Hundred percent. I mean, you are definitely the most extroverted introvert I've ever met. <laughs> um, and it sounds like just this confidence and this drive for not just learning and, and accomplishing your goals has has been easy for you. But I'm, I I want to ask you: Did you ever have a moment where you felt down? And, you know, being as a musician, was there mm. a certain piece of music that like helps you overcome any of those struggles that you may have hit along the way? Beethoven's Ninth Ode to Joy. Oh, solid. Yeah. I like that. I like it. Took it uh, classical. <laughs> I like it. You know, uh, uh, it'd be corny too. I also love that movie. It was an immortal beloved with yeah. Gary Oldman. Doesn't he have a poem about that too? Yeah. I think Ever so. thine, never mind, never always or something like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, I just, I just find that it's like super uplifting kind of music as well. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's not. Yeah, I'm glad that you think I'm making it look easy. That stuff's hard. The rejection is hard, but it's the rejection is not the problem. It's uh, you know, I'll go whine and feel bad about it for a minute, but then you just got to get up and try again. Oh, you know what? I'm going to say something that's really a silly. Do it's it. the silliest thing. Uh, movie inspiration was it is horrible. Porky's, remember that's a silly I've never movie. Seen it's just a stupid movie. <laughs> but I'm only going to watch it now. Uh, maybe not. I'll probably get in trouble for saying Porky's. <laughs> But there was a scene is about these kids that just keep going back to this club that they're not supposed to be in in uh-huh. Florida or something. There's this one kid that just kept going back. <laughs> they found him beat up by the road, and he's like, he said, I got the pigs, too, if that was the owner of the bar. But uh-huh. I just always took that like as a silly kind of thing about just you know, you know, tenacity. Yeah, uh, he was focused. He knew he was what he very wanted. Focused. Yeah. Don't, don't use that movie as an example for anything wholesome. But <laughs> you, was, uh, you, you, could, you could always figure out a way to put a spin on a negative, I think. Yeah, you can. Yeah. Trusting your struggle. So. Yeah, and it sounds like you dropped a lot of gems on um, your inner talk, how throughout life you lived outside your comfort zone or you pushed yourself to 
be outside your comfort zone. If you had to go through this journey again, and let's let's take it back five years or a couple of years back before you did Dev Bootcamp and before you did the transition into tech, mm-hmm. what is that one piece of advice that you would want yourself to know, given that you've just gone through this journey? Hmm. Try sooner. I think it just. I think a lot of things that in the short term that you think really matter, really just they don't. I think having a passion for something and just pursuing it. That sounds corny when people say, hey, go and do the thing you like to do. It's hard to do that. There are going to be a lot of people that are well-intentioned to try to point you to something left or right that you should be doing instead. My mom wanted me to take that job at Hudson Department Store because she thought maybe there was a union for sock managers and I'd be safe. <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs> but, you know, but, you know it, it, it depends. Like, Not everybody has to. Uh, it just depends on what you want to do. I think if you want to do anything that's really outstanding and significant in the world, it's going to be different than what someone else has done, especially if it's something that hasn't been done yet. I used to always, that's the thing that used to always bug me the most at a job is like, we don't do that around here. Why not? Because that's tradition. We haven't done it that way. Well, that's not a good enough reason. Like, yeah. Why shouldn't we try that? Um, yeah. So I think having the courage to, to just, you know, like I said, continue to, to take some risk, stick with something a little bit, you know, and learn. I think one of you know, the greatest bits of advice that I didn't figure out till later, like one of the best things that can happen to you is to get a rejection from a job mm-hmm. and then ask those folks for feedback. And if someone actually gives you feedback, ask them if they know someone that's looking for someone with the kind of skill set that you have. Because the minute they tell you, yeah, I got my buddy so-and-so and they send you to him, you got a whole different kind of Boom. network to go with. But people like run away from their failures and don't go back and, and try to examine things and try to figure out what they could do better. It's just wanted to go away. I kept a whole shoebox every time I got a letter that was a rejection letter. That was my evidence that I was trying to get a job. Yeah, um, and also people are, people are sometimes like afraid to embrace that their unique background. You said right, right. you were weird in the beginning, but weird just means different. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that's your superpower. Say you Elon Musk is weird. Exactly, we all weird. Zuckerberg's weird. Yeah, Bill Gates is weird. Out here. <laughs> that's good, right? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So no, I think that um, this was awesome. We appreciate you for being here. Thank you. Um, We hope that uh, more people follow the path of like trying sooner. Um, I know you've definitely inspired us to make moves sooner with some of the initiatives that we have planned. So we look forward to seeing where the bootcamp goes and let us know how we can help you along the way. Make sure you guys follow them on Twitter, like them on Facebook, and stay tuned with all the updates on the website. Yeah. Thanks, Walker. Peace. Thanks. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in.